Hey, hi everyone. Welcome back to the ENC Leadership Podcast where we take the time to uh, give us the, the impartation and the instruction we need uh, to get us to the next leadership level. And today we have the privilege of interviewing Pastor Seth Trimmer. And um, really the reason why I thought of Seth, as soon as um, this pandemic started, I was thinking of him, not for this resource, but because I was supposed to go to your city, <laughs> Seth. That's and, right. And we, we never got there because we got shut down right before we got on that plane. Um, but really, more than anything, as I've mentioned in this podcast before, this is a time of great anxiety in the world, in our nation, and really in our own hearts. And what's great is God's word and God's spirit. And our, our faith really has something to say and something to heal when it comes to anxiety. And really, if we're going to be leaders that God wants us to be at this time, a big part of it will be having to deal with anxiety in our own hearts so we can be a channel of ministering to the anxiety in other people's hearts as well. And that's what Pastor Seth is here to talk to us about. Seth, uh, welcome. Thanks for making the time for this. Yeah, happy to be here. Always fun to talk to you. Yeah, so for those who don't know, uh, Seth is our senior pastor in Grace City in Corvallis. And uh, for those of you who've read 100 Years From Now and uh, uh, Pastor Steve's book, He's mentioned there in the chapter on campus ministry. So that's how I often introduce you in the Philippines because we've got the chapter on Los Baños for Filipinos and then you're the one mentioned for, for the other one. So yours, your town is a college town like that, right? Yeah, very much so a college town. So there's like um, roughly 60, 75,000 people in the city with about 25,000 students or so. So yeah, wow. quite, quite a significant college town. Right. And so your church like, really reaches students and uh, is designed to do that. And it's not just, it's all made up of students. There's people of all ages and generations, but you know. Yeah, we're, multi-gener- yeah, we're multi-generational, but uh, like it, we're probably at least 40%. That might be conservative students. Yeah. So a good chunk. Yeah. So thanks for, for making the time for this. So um, first of all, how are you doing? How's the pandemic affecting you guys? How is it with your family? <laughs> yeah, I I am okay. That is that is good as I'm saying that I am anymore. I think that's about as um, as uh, polite as I can be without being dishonest these days. So, um, you know, my family's doing a lot better. Um, online school is kicking for my kids, and they have a little bit more structure. So, um, uh, some of the chaos has been has been corralled. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm finding, uh, I'm finding all kinds of fun, anxiety and grief and all kinds of stuff in my soul to work through. And this, so I've got no lack of emotional issues to deal with my own soul right now, which I'm sure we'll spend plenty of time talking about, but, uh, you know what? God's still good. He's still on the throne. And I actually do believe he's doing some cool things right now. So that's, I mean, kind of balance all that out and it puts me right at okay. 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 So I I get it. So okay is not a... A static uh, position. It's the average, yeah. a lot of very dynamic. It is the average. <laughs> some things are awesome, some things are terrible, and most things are somewhere in the middle, you know? <laughs> I love that. Um, you know what I've been enjoying a lot of, and I've mentioned this in, in another podcast before, but you and I have talked about this, is Ryan George's stuff lately. Uh, oh, yeah, Ryan George. I forgot your uh, one friend that is totally into that. I, I watched like all his videos. Yep. Have you seen his recent one about pay attention to celebrity guy? No. Check <laughs> <laughs> it out. So it's, it's, it, it's kind of making fun of celebrities who want the attention to be about themselves during this crisis. Oh, fun. Sweet. So you should check it out. But anyway, what we're talking about today is something you've told me a, a lot about. And uh, I just want to give background for the people on the podcast when you were in manila last september i think september october like end of september to early october you were there um we got talking about this and basically this idea of how god wants to bring about transformation in our lives but a big part of that isn't what i know or isn't what i do first though it's important to know and do the right things but it's about dealing with what's going on in my heart and being honest about that and letting god uh take away that anxiety, and then the solution or the, the spirit-led way will emerge. And you described mm-hmm. how that's true, not just for us personally, but in especially in relationships and families and church environments. And I know a number of people were really helped by that talk you did when, when you were in Manila. Um, could you talk to us about that? You know, that's what I wanted to talk to you about because yeah. you've talked about it in your podcast and it's huge. And for those of you who 
are listening uh, now, you really should go to Church in the Wild podcast uh, by Pastor Seth Trimmer. The link will be in the notes of this episode. But it helped me a lot, uh, changed my life, honestly, in handling work and dealing with stresses and not taking out on other people. So yeah, what do we call this again? <laughs> yeah, um, it's for sure a way of looking at life and relationships that I think some of the default of modern culture that, te that tends to transcend the most of the Western world, I don't think because of the globalized world that we're in now is for sure it's unique in Eastern contexts and like an Asian context like you're in, but there's still, there's still some similarities that we just live in very individualized times. I think that's what technology has done more yes. and more. Sure. Uh, it's created uh, people even into brands uh, that, that require even more differentiation. And so I think that the way that most people conceive of themselves and the world around them is just a conglomerate of individuals with individual issues or problems. But I think biblically, a far healthier way of looking at things and psychologically, what is also reinforced from the literature there as well, is that we're far less individualistic beings and far more relational beings. And so I can understand myself truly and only in the context of relationship. And that's true of God as well. Like you can't isolate God uh, away from who he is relationally. You, you can't just imagine what God is like out of the relationship because even before God created anything, he was relationship in and of himself. And so since we're made in his image, we're the same way. And so when you start talking about, um, you know, leadership or discipleship or, or any kind of family relationship or personal relationship, um, it's far more helpful to think of things in relational systems than right. just personal individualism, um, where I just kind of have my own personal problems versus seeing that, no, I, there's a way in which I'm relating to people that right. is either that is either my health or dysfunction. And when I can see things in that way, it really is more helpful of diagnosing and being able to step forward into greater health. Right. And that's super helpful because um, even though, you know, us in, in Asia, we're often very relational, the individualistic thinking still comes out where when I think of what's wrong with a team or with my team, or when I think of what's wrong with my marriage, it's, you know, it's a person, it's one person who's wrong. You know, it's, it's my wife. If only she would change, if only this person would change or this person would leave the team, you know, and then everything would be okay. But what you're describing is, no, I have a part to play with that. If we're really interconnected, then it's not just my wife. It's not just that person. Uh, it's, it's all of us. And I have a part to play in feeding into that, that brokenness, that dysfunction that I'm feeling. Yeah, it's really well said. Yeah, so that's the, that's the ironic thing, that once you start doing things more relational, that it actually doesn't remove your personal responsibility, but actually only increases it. Right. And so uh, when I'm thinking individualistically, it's easy, just like you said, to identify my problems as other people. And just to say, if they could only fix themselves, then my life would be better. Right. Rather, when I think of the world more in a relational sense, and I think of myself relationally connected, I think, well, what is my role in that relationship that is reinforcing um, the dysfunctional or negative cycle that it's in? Right. Because that's what the reality is, is that all that you're getting out of your teams and your families, um, your churches, your businesses, every relational system is perfectly designed to get exactly what it's getting right now. So, um, and the only member of that family or system or church or team I have any control over, true control over is me. Right. And so knowing that means uh, I can't just identify Joe as the problem and wait for Joe to get his act together. It actually empowers me to figure out, well, what role am I playing that might be contributing to this mess and therefore change my presence in my relationship with Joe that's in, that then is going to give him a different presence to respond to in relationship. And then the whole system, the whole system of relationships can be transformed in that way. Um, so in my sense, it's a, it's a way more gospel centered view. It's a way more Jesus centered view. It helps us make way more sense yeah. of what Jesus's mission and his plan on earth was um, and why he was so successful. Right. Um, and that's why discipleship uh, is so yeah. important because people yes. needed to get disciples. If it was just information, then he would have a, a loudspeaker. If it was just a regime change and he would have done that politically. But he's like, no, 
people need to change on the inside. And networks of relationships of people changed and changing people and helping other people was how this and the, beautiful, the beautiful gift that Jesus brought to us was that he entered our world literally in, in human flesh, Ooh. created a family system around himself. But where Jesus is so different than any of us is they didn't let any of the um, he didn't let any of the unbelief or the sin or the fear or anxiety leak into him to drive him in his own life. Right. He was a non-anxious, faithful um, presence in the world. And therefore, he actually commanded everyone else to respond to him. Like we could use the word repentance. Right. That everyone else in his presence had to actually respond to him and become more like Christ rather than Christ coming into our world and becoming more like us. Um, and that came as he actually came and created a relational system. And so you can look at his life and say, well, if you really want to look like just at the crucifixion moment, like how successful really was his life? He had 12 followers. One of them sold him out and pretty much all the rest of them abandoned him. So mm -hmm. it's not like he, his life looks all that successful unless you realize that the major goal of his life was actually to stay faithful to his father, to be unchanged by the world. Mm -hmm. um, and to remain on the path his father set for him mm -hmm. while he stayed connected in the world with the yes. people that God had called yeah. him to. Um, and his faithfulness to that is what produced what we call disciples. Right. I want to go back over what you've said because I feel like we've, this is huge, you know, and I love how you've shown it in the life of Jesus. Um, just for the sake of people who are listening, who are getting this for the first time, and I know it took me a while. If you'll remember when we were hanging out in Manila, I would go back to this thing. Wait a minute. Do you really mean, oh, is it really not their fault? Is there really nothing I can do? You know, is there really no one I could blame, really, was what I was asking? <laughs> yes. What you said earlier, the system that we are in now is yeah. perfectly designed to produce the results we're seeing right now. Yeah, exactly right. So if I've got a marriage, just for example, if I've got a marriage, that because uh, mine is awesome you know we never fight we never have any arguments you know uh and it, <laughs> no but if, if if my wife and i fight it's not just because something's up with her today but there's mm -hmm. something about the way she and i are interacting with each other that's producing this or mm -hmm. maybe for a lot of our student leaders who are stuck at home and they are struggling you know with their family members though we do have a few testimonies super encouraging of their families getting together and loving each other more there are a lot of them that are, it's highly tense. And very often it's easy to think there's just something wrong. But it took years to get to this place. And it's not one person who chooses to have a bad day. It's because all of us make up for this person's whateverness. And that's why they feel free to keep acting that way. And that's why it's, it, it stays the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... Yeah, this, so maybe a healthy example would, would, uh, would be helpful for people just to kind of conceive of what we're talking about here. Because I get it, it can be a bit abstract, but if you can imagine like a, if you can imagine a family situation, and, okay. and I think all of us can relate to this, almost every family can relate to this, but within a family, you just have people that play different roles. Yeah. And so maybe the stereotypical, at least American family, is you have a semi-workaholic father who's kind of distant and detached at home. Um, you have a kind of over-functioning mom who's kind of, you know, the helicopter that manages everyone's life. Who helps with emotional support that's lacking. Mm -hmm. okay. And then you've got, you know, the kids who, if there's multiple children, they just kind of range from maybe a really responsible oldest child, uh, maybe a really rebellious uh, younger child, and then maybe like a child in between that's kind of like a, a peacemaker, a peacekeeper. And so rather than just isolating and say like, well, the dad's kind of stoic and a hard worker, but kind of distant. And the mom's kind of a hard worker, you know, very emotional, you know, home, homemaker. And then, well, this kid right here, they're like this, that. And rather than just going through the list individually, you look at the whole and you realize that's actually a perfectly balanced system um, where just all the... It's yeah, like you stay the way it is. You think of it like a mobile, right? Uh, you guys have like mobiles, like hang yes, over cribs, like now, right? right? So, so you think of the father, like the further the father would slide out on the lever, it just means okay. the mom had to come closer, right? To take up the slack to make right. sure there was balance, right? Right, right? So, the more the father is, is distant at home, the more the mom is maybe overcompensating by being overly controlling at home. 
the more one of the children uh, is kind of type A, super responsible, the more another child's going to really go out and be kind of adventurous slash rebellious and kind of do their own thing. The more one child is more conflict averse and always just stoking up conflict at home, there's going to be another that has to play the peacemaker role. And so you're kind of looking at this whole thing. Now, what you can do is isolate and yeah, look at maybe, only the negatives, the stoic father, yeah, the irresponsible yeah, like, father, or the conflict. Blame the dad. Yeah. Blame the dad for everything. If the dad would just be more engaged at home, everything would be better. Or just blame the mom. Oh, you're just coddle the kids. You know, you're, you're, you know, you're, uh, you do too much for them. Or you just blame a child and say like, oh, well, it's just this one rebellious child. That's the only problem our family has. No, actually, <clears throat> each member of the system has responsibility for their own presence in the system. Okay. And what's amazing is that um, any one member, it doesn't, you can lead from any position in the family. Okay. You can lead from any position in a team or an organization. Yeah. Um, where you stop, where you can, if you are mindful of the role you're playing to keep the team where it is, then you can actually be mindful to start shifting and changing your role to maybe a healthier place. And right. once you start shifting your part of the mobile, they're going to have to shift. Everyone more. else is going to have to counteract and counterbalance. And so if, for, for example, here, if the mom decides to stop just blaming the dad for, you know, not being as connected as she wants him to be by uh, making up for him constantly. And if she would just stop over functioning for him and let there be messes in the family that she doesn't fix all the time, that he actually has to lean in with and help with, if the mom would just stop over functioning emotionally, the dad would have to step in. He would feel more of a burden and pressure to step into those situations. The space would be created for that. If the mom just came to a greater place of health, I'm not saying go and absentee herself. I'm saying the mom actually asking herself, okay, what is a healthy mothering presence in my family right now? And what's just me reacting out of overcompensation for someone else? What's me being a responsible member of this family? And what's me taking responsibility for someone else's role? And if any member of that family can just take responsibility for their role, every other role has to readjust. And usually, uh, usually at least in relatively healthy ways. Um, and uh, so, that's, so that's kind of a way of thinking about things in terms of a system. As a boss, I think about this all the time because I constantly have over and under performers on my teams. And so I have to think like the underperformers and the overperformers need each other in a sense um, because... <laughs> You know, the underperformers are kind of the free thinking ones, but they need the overperformers to take the slack off their, you know, off their plate. But the overperformers, like, um, they need to feel that little extra bit of importance by right. handling other people's problems and not dealing fully with their own. And even so, like, complaining about someone else's performance. So that doesn't Yes, <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, and, you know, I've been on both sides of that end in different teams. And sometimes the overperformer has to come to terms with, I just don't know how to say no. Yeah. I'm a people pleaser. Yeah. I know how to say no. And that's no one else's issue. That's my issue. Mm -hmm. And I can, I can blame the slackers all I want. Um, but I just need to say no when it's time for stuff to get done. That's not going to get done unless I do it. And right. I have to, you know, I have to let someone feel the consequence of that. Um, so that's, that's a way of thinking about things systemically and relationally where you actually take more responsibility for your presence in order to be like a blessing to the whole. I think this is what Jesus meant when he says to love your neighbor as you love yourself. I think that's the two tensions that are going on there that actually is I'm like the responsible, faithful, you know, spirit responsive member in a relationship that is actually loving other people. Well, right. um, not just consuming them and, and living their part of the relationship for them. Right. So a big part of this, because let's go back. And I love that you use the family example. I think that's relevant for, for all of us. Um, and I'm guilty. You know, I'm guilty of looking at in my teams and even in my family, whether this one or when I was younger and thinking, yeah, these are the good ones. These are the people who are making it bad for us now, you know, but not realizing how the, the part I played in that. And the temptation, I like how you said that. I want to go back over it is, for let's say the responsible one, because let's because this is the ENC leadership podcast. So people listening are probably if you're a leader yes. of the family. <laughs> they're probably thinking like I would think if I did less, this would just get worse. Yeah. If I did, if I cleaned up his, if I stopped cleaning up his mess, 
you know how ugly our house would get if I if I let him just be if I didn't nag him or nag her into doing that do you know how much worse they would be and that's the temptation but what you're saying then is I'm still responsible for what I am responsible for I'm just not responsible for their side of the thing and I think that's where it's hard for leaders very often because you know because we're, we're high capacity I think I can do so much I don't pay attention to when I've crossed the line and I'm in somebody else's responsibility. I'm actually trying to make decisions for them or controlling them or trying to like, even like manipulate their emotions already and be like, no, you feel yeah. this, you know? Mm -hmm. so how do you draw that line? Yeah, well, Joseph, what's your, I think what is most helpful is we've got to describe what's causing all of that. Okay. And that's, that's what I would say anxiety does. Okay. So, Anxiety is what drives us to either over or under function in those senses. Okay. And so when you're saying like, oh man, but if I don't over function, stuff's not going to get done and we're going to fail. Right. That's anxiety talking. That's totally that's anxiety talking. That. Yeah, that's my anxiety. And, and when I'm in anxiety, the problem with it is that it shrinks my creativity. And uh, if I'm afraid, uh, if, I, if I'm carrying a fear that man, if I, if this doesn't get done, I'm not going to be okay. I can't allow this to not get done or I won't be okay. And I'm carrying that into relationships. Then, um, I only have a couple of options. The options are either overcompensate for someone else or let it all fall apart. But as a leader, well, it seems like the only options are, yeah, because they, there's a million, there's a million other options in that. Wow. And when I'm not anxious, or let me say it like this, when I'm less anxious, it is the very thing that allows the fullness of my brain to actually do the critical thinking and creative problem solving necessary to figure out how to achieve our team goals and empower my team members while playing like my best personal part and allowing other people to be their best as well. Um, but the more anxious I am, the more black and white I'll think, the more either or think of just very limited sort of decisions. Zero Anxiety seven. sends us down to our lower brain, which is all about just fight or flight reactivity. It has nothing to do with creative problem solving. Um, and I'd say like it takes us even out of faith uh, of just trusting God for wisdom yeah. uh, to manage difficult moments. Um, so given any case example of what, of a real life situation where something's going on there's always a creative solution like there always is and god is abundant wisdom to help Ooh. us precisely for things like that yeah. it's my anxiety that says like no i yeah, either right. have to do exactly what i'm doing or i fail and there's no other option like really really there's no other option like that doesn't sound like leadership that doesn't sound like faith that doesn't sound like that doesn't sound like like even intelligence right that doesn't sound like any emotional intelligence um, but that's exactly what, that's the state that anxiety puts us into and what many of us get stuck in. Right. See, that's really helpful because um, even as you say that now, it makes sense to me, but I can also identify that whole uh, fight or flight that you described mode where, you know, if, 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 if the student leader who I've been empowering doesn't, you know, rise up to the occasion, ah, what, you know, like, I feel like there's only one way. And that's what you're saying. There isn't only one way. And so you've introduced that word anxiety, and that's really helpful. Could you give us a definition for that? Though I know you've done that with the people who you've interviewed on your podcast. And yeah. um, what do we mean by that? And like, because, you know, there's a psychological definition for it. And there's mm -hmm. parts of, what, of it that you mean and parts of it you don't mean. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's a so this is this one's tricky, and uh, and you and I have talked about this at length because the word anxiety is just thrown around so commonly right. by almost everyone, and you know, no two people seem to mean exactly the same thing. Right, right. And so um, there's one sense in which you know talking about anxiety, if you're not a uh, you know a mental health specialist, you know, is almost irresponsible. You know, yeah. but it really just depends on 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 how you're. Define so it is helpful to talk about terms. Um, I would say that uh, so anxiety has a few different levels to it, and one of the most basic levels is simply just the emotional response to a threat, either real or perceived. Right. So that's just the most simplest form. Just so any sense of threat 
to my personhood, to my emotional well-being, to my significance or security in life, any sense of threat to that whatsoever. The Even most extreme is like, you, right? Like, like a car yeah. about to hit you. Yeah, I'm chased by a wild predator. Like, I, like God actually designed us like to have an anxiety response in those moments that sends us into fight or flight so that we can survive. Right. We, um, and it's really, I mean, the neuroscience behind Mr. Joseph is just amazing how we're wired because our bodies can literally go on autopilot, take over and respond in milliseconds right, right. Um, to save our lives in extraordinary situations. It's, it's incredible what the human body can do, completely bypass all the things. Yeah, yeah. Act. And like, like, like I say, that's really helpful when you're, when you're on your moped. You guys call them mopeds? What do you call your little uh, scooter? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I call it the Vespa. And, oh, your uh, Vespa. Okay. So when you're in Manila traffic riding your Vespa, right? And a jeepney <laughs> like pulls out right in front of you, you know? Never happens. Um, Never happens. We are make you drivers. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you are. Um, so when you pull out in front of the jeepney and cause <laughs> the accident. No, <laughs> that happens too. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that, that, that fight or flight response is really helpful because it was going to help you to veer, swerve, Right, right. Or do something to save your life in a GIF. The problem is when we're stuck in anxiety mode, when there isn't an actual life-threatening moment happening. So you're going throughout your relationships in life just reacting to people. You're not even thoughtfully thinking. So uh, marriages know this because think of all the arguments you've had or think of like the last few arguments you've had. They probably could have been scripted identical. Like, you know what I mean? Like you say this, she says that, you say yep. this, she says that. And it's just like, you go down the same path every time. Yep. It's because you're literally not, you're not rationally thoughtfully thinking about anything. It's why you're not even really listening to your spouse talk when you're in an argument. You're just thinking of your next response, you know? It's like, scripted, you can't. He's going to say this and my next line is. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that's, so that's anxiety. And I think, you know, when I look at where anxiety begins, um, I think it can play a positive role, like I say, in a life-saving sort of situation, which are few and far between. Right. Um, but I see anxiety as also having an aspect where it can become a chronic condition of our life. So right. I don't mean like um, a, a diagnosed disorder. Like some people have generalized anxiety disorder. Uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. These are real things that right. require real medical professionals, real medication at times. Right. Right. Those are all real things. I'm not qualified to like speak on that or lead anyone through that. I'm not talking about that. I'm really just medication. Yeah, I'm really just talking about chronic anxiety. Right. So that that background sense of anxiety that drives all of us to some degree that I believe is rooted in Genesis three. Um, from the moment where humans decided to not trust God and instead trust themselves. And it's the most logical thing that you would emotionally feel when you don't trust God, um, when you feel the weight of carrying your own soul for now and eternity, being responsible for your own spiritual and emotional security and significance entirely. That's anxious. That makes me anxious. You know, thinking that it's just all on me, that's, that's vulnerable, that's intimidating, that's terrifying to a degree. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's where the chronic anxiety begins. And so there's one spiritual way you could describe it as where anxiety is what it feels like when we're not trusting God or not trusting God fully. Right. Um, and I don't mean that to say that anyone that has anxiety in their life, they just need more faith and they'd get over it. Or that they not, want salvation. <laughs> nope. And some people just want to interpret it that way uh, and make themselves the victim of their anxiety. And I'm just a big, bad pastor, you know, bludgeoning them with the faith, you know, stick or something. No, 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 no. I'm saying that we're all a mixture of belief and unbelief. Yeah. Uh, we're all trusting Jesus and still trying to trust Jesus, you know, at the same time. And that all the areas where I have still yet to completely and fully trust Jesus everywhere in my life leaves that lingering chronic anxiety in me. And so, um, so that is, I believe, what Jesus is trying to lead us into, to help us to trust him fully in every area of our life. <clears throat> and, uh, and when I become less anxious and trust Jesus more, I believe it's walking in, by the Spirit, um, not in the flesh. And we're able to think uh, with huge creativity. I think you look at 
I mean, think of like God created humans in a garden and gave them one rule and said, go to town, have fun, kids, basically. You know what I mean? So many options. The life that, the life that God designed us for was free and open and abundant and creative, not limited or isolated, micromanaged in any way. And I think of like, some people think there's just tons of rules in the Bible. I think there's not nearly enough. Like, just think of like all the rules that are missing from the Bible that would be really helpful. Like how much screen time you should allow your kids every day, you know, or, or you know, like, um, like, like, which is the appropriate, like shows to watch on Netflix or not for a Christian. Like I would really appreciate laws on that. Um, but what uh, the New Testament does say is that uh, Jesus is the wisdom of God. Right. And that God provides that liberally to us. Yeah. But I think accessing that, that liberal wisdom of God that can navigate complex life issues comes when we're in our most spirit-led, creative, God-given mindset and not just driven by really anxious reactions um, to the environment we're in. Right. Oh, that's so good. Everything you said. And so I love how you when you started with the different levels of anxiety, that's huge because it's not just a negative thing. I love how you said level one is more like just the physiological response, which is essential. Mm-hmm. It, it's just that not every situation is like that. And uh, in fact, that, that might be a sign of anxiety where we realize, oh yeah, why am I interpreting every situation as make or break life and death when it's not necessarily mm-hmm. like that? I also love how you talked about you know, well, the second level is what we're addressing here, the chronic anxiety and then the yes. diagnosed thing. And I know people like that um, who do need medication, who who do need to see uh, uh, licensed uh, psychological therapists. Yeah, 100%. it's super helpful. Um, the thing is, like you said, I think I heard this in one of your podcasts where someone will describe, yeah, I'm going through a lot of anxiety right now and it's a, a real condition that's diagnosed because of what they're going through or maybe they lost a parent and this other person is just, you know, like, doesn't like their teacher, you know, so it's, it's not exactly the same thing. And even though uh, we're not talking about the, the, the clinical kind, a lot of people, in fact, most people I would imagine would be, would be able to celebrate so much freedom if we could just recognize what God is doing in this thing. And I really want to uh, point everybody, especially to your, your podcast, on An Anxious World Number Two, where you get into the biblical side of this. And uh, I just want to say, um, I loved how sensitively you said it there. And even here, where it's not just have faith. Here's a Bible verse. You know, now your problems are gone. Oh, are they back? Then you don't really believe. You know, it was very thoughtfully said. And yet there is still that invitation for me personally to believe, mm-hmm. you know, and to not keep you responsible. Like, no, Pastor Seth said I should have faith. He didn't really listen to me. And so I'm going to stay here because of Pastor Seth. You know, it, no, there's an invitation on my part to still believe. Could you, and I hate to do this because your episode is so perfect. I feel like I would be like That's cutting fine. and pasting episodes of The Office and not showing the whole <laughs> thing. Like, oh, but it's a masterpiece. You've got to re- watch the whole thing. It's all right. For the sake of the people who won't, but you really should. Could you talk to us about that biblical uh, side of anxiety? I'll tell them what they're missing. Yeah. Okay. I really loved how you brought us through the emotional journey. Yeah, possible. You, you, you do admit that this, this is your guess. It's not exactly uh, scripture, but highly likely the possible emotional journey of Eve and Adam yeah. when they made those sinful, fateful decisions. But yes. also about that definition of anxiety in the Bible, about the, the narrowness of opinions and, and options that are available to us. Yeah. Yeah. So where this is, Joe, where it's just so helpful because if we limit our conversations and the discipleship to just about a behavioral sin. Right. It's kind of like, you know, we're so far down the road already where the problems began, you know, when someone acts out in a behavioral sin, there were so many things happening before that moment, you know, that unless you're dealing with what came before, like, it's just like, it's just like, like Jesus would say, right. You're just picking the fruit off the tree. You're not dealing with the roots. Right. Um, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, you know? Um, I've had people struggling with addictions and I'm like, you know what you really should do is call me, you know, at that moment when you're addicted, when you're about to give in. 
And finally, the guy called me and he goes, do you realize that by the time I'm about to give into the addiction, I do not want to call you. I've decided not to call you. You're going to have to help me way earlier in the process than at that moment. And oh, okay. I wish I knew this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I know we're talking to, especially ENC, the cycle makers. Yeah, for sure. Like, I'm not the guy who's going to guilt trip you for helping to like corral people's behaviors because sometimes behaviors can be so negative and toxic, you know, yeah. that you, got, you do what you got to do to keep people from hurting themselves and each other, you know, yeah, for yeah. sure. But the long-term holistic, you got to look, you got to look further back down the road and anxiety is that thing that happened before the thing. Okay. So when I look at Genesis three, um, it doesn't say the word anxiety more specifically, but I think it's describing that moment. Um, and you see that Adam summarizes it, that we were hiding because we were naked and afraid basically. Yeah. Right. Um, so you see him use that kind of fear, anxiety language. But when you look at Genesis 3, you just, I think you really want to slow down the moment. If you almost had a slow-mo button on Genesis 3, like press it. And then start to like put yourself, especially in Eve's shoes, yeah. and just think about what's going on inside of her internally in that moment. So here she has this relationship with God where every shred of evidence in her life has only ever been that he's good. God is good. Yep. And that, yeah, that God is good and he's trustworthy. And that the only command he's ever given to them was to protect them and bless them yeah. to keep them from dying. Right. Yeah. And it was, it was a protection. And then came the serpent and lied to her and said, no, God's not protecting you. He's oppressing you. Yeah. He's holding you back. And so if you were to just like really slow that moment down, if not pause it at that moment, what would be going on in Eve's heart? Like what's really going on in her on like an emotional level? And once you now have this, like, okay, everything I used to know is that God is good, but now the serpent says he's not. I used to think he was blessing me, but now the serpent says he's oppressing me. So what are you going to do? You've got two competing truths. Which source are you going to believe? And I believe, like, you know, as she's, like, internalizing this, that's what's generating the anxiety in her. Is she's not which, sure which story she's supposed to believe. Right, right. Her husband isn't exactly stepping into the, the deal um, to speak up and, and help. Um, and so she seems to be managing this on her own. And the best that she comes up with is to start investigating the tree. And it says that she looks at the outside of the tree and it looks like it's good for eating. And then she looks a little bit deeper at the tree and realizes it could give her wisdom if she were to consume it. And then she reaches out, takes it, grabs it, eats it, hands it to her husband. And you know, like, there's so many, if you were to, to stop, like, what could someone have done in that moment? There's a million options of what she could have done. But her focus, I think because of her anxiety and her fear that maybe God wasn't trustworthy, she already had that like sliver of doubt that was placed in there. And out of her anxiety, she didn't say, hold up, hold up, hold up. Let's just wait. Yeah. God usually comes to take a walk during the cool of the day. Let's just, we could ask, let's him. ask him. Yeah. yeah let's, or at least let's talk to him. You yeah. know, she doesn't do that. She, she focuses narrowly on the one tree God said not to eat from and looks more deeply at the tree and becomes convinced she needs that tree, that it would actually bless her not kill her. That God is indeed actually oppressing her, not helping her. And then she eats from it. And so I think this is the product of what happened in her own anxiety is she started removing her trust in God, trusting slowly in what the serpent was saying. And what anxiety does is it just tends to narrow our vision yeah. and focus. Yeah. What makes us so black and white. Yeah. Um, and what narrows our creativity and problem solving ability. It's why we think like, Oh, either I do their work or it doesn't get done. And, I'm stuck and I can't do anything about it. Uh, you know, like, no, there's a million solutions there, but you're anxious and can't think of them. Right. And there, like, I think of it like looking through a knot hole in a fence, right? It's just like, you can't see the whole world. And like, what's comical about it is there's one tree that God said they couldn't eat from, but every other tree that they could, she could have looked 360 degrees to see thousands, if not tens of thousands of trees that looked great. Yeah. that she could have had freely and realized it was just one to 10,000, you know, God is good. I'll, right, right, I'll right. trust him. <laughs> I'll trust him. Or at least give him the benefit of the doubt. And then, you know, I'll talk to him. I'll, ask him. I'll wait and I'll ask him when he gets here. 
or confer with my husband maybe, like who knows, right? There's options though. But she's only looking at the one, can only see the one tree and like only is consumed with that tree and her vision of that tree. So that it becomes like, well, either I reach out and take this fruit to save my own life or leave my life in the hands of God. And I think the choice for Eve was, I'd rather have my life in my own hands. I'd rather trust me than him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's all being driven in that moment by anxiety. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of underlying condition that we've inherited since. And so whatever we do behaviorally out of our lives, I think it's still rooted in that autonomy, self-centeredness, taking control of our own lives and destinies in our own hands. Yeah. And that anxiety that's not really sure that we can trust God. Now, that doesn't mean we disbelieve in God. Um, in fact, I think anxiety more oftentimes gets expressed like uh, Phariseeism or religiosity, where I believe in God, and I'll even say I have a relationship with God. And I think this is where many Christians fall into this camp. We'll say, oh, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. But really, like the things we do behaviorally, even if they look like obedience to God, we're doing that in order to control him and make sure he continues to bless us. Right. So that if I obey enough or do enough good, God is then obligated to help me or bless me or listen to my prayers. Right. Um, because I can't manage my anxiety of thinking that God would do so graciously based on his own love and care for me. So therefore, I want to make sure he's in my debt, basically. Yeah. God owes me. So I've obeyed him. I've lived a good life. I've done, I've tithed. I gave myself the campus mission, you know, missions work. I raised a partnership team for crying out loud, you know. Um, God, you owe me fill in the blank whatever it is you think you need in that moment and that is about anxiety which is leading you to want to control god it has nothing to do with trust um so again it can look like a radical rebellion it can look like a radical religiosity um but it's all still being driven from by that emotional state of anxiety that's huge i love how you said well all of what you said but i love how you talked about the narrowing because that's you know, the example earlier, that's what I was doing. Hey, green tea, good job. So oh, yeah. <laughs> for those of you on audio, Seth is drinking green tea. He said that's one of the most Asian stuff about him. It is, it is by far one of the most Asian things. About, I, other than having a, a real Asian living with me full time now for the last seven years or so, this is the most Asian thing about me. Oh, and the, uh, um, the rice. Oh, I love rice. Yeah, I'm not a potato guy. I'm a very suspect white person for the most part, you know. No potatoes, no coffee, no beer, just green tea and rice. Yep. <laughs> so I love coming to see you, Joe. <laughs> the Philippines is amazing for me. That's why you ate so much Asian food. But when we talked about the narrowness, like, like I said earlier, you know, the temptation for, for an over-functioning person is to say, but if I don't, they definitely won't. And then where will we be? You know, not allowing for the other possible options. And so that really helped me in identifying anxiety in myself when I would start to take on and take on more workload, when I would start to talk to people or, or anybody else in a irritable or, or, or angry manner, it was always because I felt like I didn't have a choice. I don't have mm -hmm. any other choice but to do this because you have pushed me to this place or even like God has put me in this place where God has given me too much to do. I have no other way to do this without, you know, resorting to these methods. And uh, I, I love how you said that, that the moment I start to feel the walls closing in, the moment I start to feel my focus and my, I see nothing else but this problem and only this person can change. And sometimes I feel like it's like sometimes the, the vision closes and I feel like I can do something about it and I do nothing but that. You know, like I can't get off the computer. I can't get off, but keep talking to this person. I can't stop talking to other people about this person because this is the only area of progress. And when I don't see this changing, I get super discouraged. I yeah. just throw my hands up and I'm like, nothing's going to happen because this is the only yeah. front that something can happen in and nothing's moving. And yeah, let me give you just a real life example because this one's a bit personal for me. I've had it happen with both my staff and also my kids. Uh, my son's uh, 15 years old now. And uh, so we're trying to navigate the whole cell phone dilemma, you know? <laughs> and um, I've just swung from anger to ignoring him right you know so um his management of technology is not meeting any of my standards or uh rules that i lay down you know basically he's on his phone too much 
And um, so I either just get really angry that he's not following my rules or I just ignore him. Like, all right, I'm not even going to deal with this. Right, and right. so I just kind of lash out or just don't pay attention to him. And I started realizing this pattern that it's just being driven by a ton of anxiety. Right. And so like, I just stop and say, okay, there has to be a different way. It has to be a different way. Cause this isn't, this is just crazy. Um, it's not changing him. And so I remember one day I just went and sat down in his room and he had just messed up with his phone again and being on at the time he wasn't supposed to. And I just said, all right, dude, look, here's the deal. You, I can lay down any rule I want and you're, you, uh, you're only going to do what you want to do. You're only going to follow the rules you want to follow. Um, I'm kind of wasting my breath here. And he said, you're right, dad. And I said, like, oh, shoot. Like, I didn't expect wow. you to admit that. But he called you out. Because <laughs> you're right. Yep. And I said, okay, so here's the deal. Um, I have zero interest in controlling your life. You are going to be leaving my house in about three or four years. And um, you're going to be totally responsible. So none of my rules are going to apply to you anymore. I want to prepare you to be a man. You tell me, how can I best help you to prepare to be a responsible adult with your technology? And uh, he just melted. And uh, he had, he wanted stricter oversight of his phone communicated to me than I was even imposing on him. Um, but for me, just coming to a slightly less anxious place, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to take all the burden of just making him obey. Yeah. And I actually just put it back on him. So like, no, yeah. no, no. Like if you're just not going to obey me, then I'm not going to sit here and just try to control you with my anger anymore. Um, so, you know, it's your life and your manhood. So, um, what kind of a man do you want to be? And I'm not just like anxiety would have me just totally walk away from him and say right, you're on right. your own. Like, I'm not dealing with this. You're not, you're dead yeah. to me. I don't want to have to deal with that kind of stuff. That's sound. right. And believe me, I wanted to at times. Um, but instead I said like, I'd love to walk with you. Tell me how I can help. And, and then like, we just figured that out together. Like he would say something and say, ah, I don't know if that will work. How about this? And then vice versa. And we, went, and we just actually had a conversation about it. And it was really productive. Wow. Um, and uh, no one raised a voice. No one got upset. No one cried. No one yelled. Um, it was brilliant. But it was a vulnerable, creative, and honest moment that my anxious reactions were never affording before. All my narrowing kind of vision and, yeah. and just routine over and under reactions um, had to get that cycle had to get broken somehow. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I've, I've had it with staff members as well, the classic under functioning ones. And uh, so sitting through meetings where they don't say anything and then just nod along and just walk out of the room with zero contribution. Uh, I had uh, like that in my life. And uh, I just realized like either like I just get passive aggressive and angry at them internally. Right. right. Or fantasize about firing them. Like that's, that's all I do. Thank you for admitting what a lot of us do. <laughs> yeah, that's all I do. I have like, I yell at them in the shower in a pretend conversation that I imagine in my mind. Yep, yep, yep. yep. And, or just, or have dreams about just being able to say, that's it, you're fired. Um, or just kind of performance review them and say like, if you don't pick up this and do better right. at this. So I've had a couple moments where I was just like, all right, here's the deal. Like, um, I'm not going to manage a meeting where you're not going to participate. I wouldn't say this to them, but I'm like, I'm just going to switch my position in the meeting. Like who's, so I actually put some of my lower functioning people. So, okay, you're in charge of this creative meeting. You're coming with the agenda and you're going to lead the idea, the ideas for it. I'm going to throw in the best that I got for it. I'm going to help you be amazingly successful at it, but I want you to lead just this specific meeting. And it's like night and day. Yeah. Yeah. And, I realized that like certain personalities of people, creative minds, like flourish in different environments and which with a little weight of actual responsibility on him, um, he ran with the ball and we had one of the most productive meetings ever. Um, but again, it wasn't me controlling him. It was just me changing my orientation of position yes. in it. Some people just are lazy and need to get fired, but yeah. that wasn't him. I just had to figure out how to best position him for success on the team. Um, and anxiety was giving me very few options to do that, but a, a less anxious moment of prayer and asking for wisdom, it, you know, led me to try something that even if it didn't work, well, 
who cares? It wasn't working the way it was before anyway, you know? Um, and it's, it's reshuffling the pot and uh, it ended up being really helpful. So again, just ways of kind of breaking free from an anxious cycle to a less anxious cycle and seeing if you can't reshuffle that relationship. I love how you're giving us these examples because it really helps. And these are great pictures of solutions that we didn't think were available because very often it's like, well, no, I've tried that. Well, we don't know that. And I also like that distinction where lowering your anxiety isn't the solution to that specific problem, but it's the way we discover it. You know, so we're not talking about not correcting people. We're not talking about not making nope. changes or that people don't need to get off of their addictions or stuff like that. It's just that we're not going to get to that solution if we're all anxious. And the thing that we need to realize is that person acting out probably is, almost definitely is, but so are we. And if we really want to help with the leading and the helping that person, we're going to take responsibility for our own actions, not take responsibility for theirs. Mm -hmm. Go to God with our anxiety so we can stay connected. And then options open up. And God's amazing like that. He, he shows ways yeah. that we didn't think were possible. Yeah. Yeah, oh. it's also just helpful. Like taking responsibility for my own presence and well-being. Most of the time for me just looks like like not telling someone else what I need them to do, but telling them, okay, here's, here's how, what I'm thinking. Here's what I see right now. I see a pattern of you disengaging and not really interested in what we're doing. Is that, is that true? And they can tell me like, oh no, I've just had, you know, my mom just died or, oh, you know, I've, you know, I've been really depressed lately for some reason or like, or, oh, like, yeah, I have really been struggling with work. I'm not really sure if God's called me to this or like, or like, oh, you know what? I feel like I am slacking and I'm sorry for that. And I want, you know, but for me, just kind of like pointing out, okay, here's what I see. Yeah. Yeah. Or even saying like, hey, here's where I'm frustrated, man. Like, I really believe in you and I think there's more in you, but um, I really feel like I'm not getting the best out of you. Like, can you help me with that? How can yeah, yeah. I help you? Like, and then, and then again, the, the onus is back on them and they know that I'm for them um, and I'm trying to walk with them and help them. And again, in an employment situation, if they're completely unresponsive to that, then it's okay. That's not going to work. Yeah. But uh, yeah, most people will be, you know, most people are in it and committed. If you're in campus ministry, you're probably in it and committed. Um, and when I lower my anxiety, it just gives me a whole range of leadership options. And you can read tons of leadership books, Joseph, and you can hear all the techniques to do all this kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Yep. But, but this, I'm saying this is the foundation of all the techniques you'll ever read. Yes. Yes. So if you just read techniques all the time, um, that doesn't necessarily manage your anxiety. You're just mimicking someone else's technique. You're not actually learning to like be more spirit led and like lower the anxiety in your own soul, which is the real responsibility. I think a leader has in any moment, right. um, because you're never going to have enough techniques to handle every crisis that comes your way, you know? And if you always have to stop, let me check one of John Maxwell's books real quick. I'm pretty sure one of his 21 principles will answer. No, you have to be able to make decisions and think in real time. So having an, uh, a less anxious presence is just always good news. And techniques are just usually the short circuit, you know, problem solving, you know, thing that we, that we use um, that isn't actually addressing what's really going on in our heart. Gosh, there's a lot there. And that's huge. And I was just thinking that when you were talking earlier about your son and that team member, because, um, you know, I was thinking, gosh, that's in that book, that's in this book. But the emotional resources, the spiritual strength, the love and the risk taking to do that, to say what you really think. Because honestly, there have been times I've held back from telling people what I think because I'm prejudged. I've made the decision. They're not going to listen. So why should I even say that? But that's mm -hmm. me trying to control them, you know, mm -hmm. removing responsibility from them, removing the opportunity for them to respond well. Um, I'll give an example. We were texting about this last week, and I'm super grateful for this. Um, I was checking with one of uh, our leaders back in the Philippines, and this person was describing um, really their inability to work at this time. I don't want to give more detail than that because, uh, you know, they had life situations that were very difficult. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I've been studying this anxiety thing. How do I help him? Like, what is the magic word 
to reduce his anxiety. Okay, what, what's the word? And I thought, wait a minute, I'm doing it again. <laughs> I'm trying to control him when I'm supposed to go to God with my anxiety and respond yeah. in a loving and spirit-led way to this person. And yeah. so I'm like, forget the technique, forget the words, Lord God, help my brother. Mm-hmm. Dear God, help him. You know, and I just waited, you know, to, for God to, to even take away my desire to, because I was, you know, going back and forth between like, oh, really, you okay? And you really should get back mm-hmm. to work. And I was swinging back and forth between those two things. I didn't know what to say. And so I just said, I'm so sorry for what you're going through. Um, I'm praying for you. Let me know how I can help. Then I left it at yeah. that. The next day, he texted and gosh, I don't know what God did <laughs> the night before, but his mood was so hopeful. He was like, you know what? I think God's doing something. I know it's hard. Thank you for believing in me. I'm, I'm going to make it, right? Do you think? I'm like, I, I do believe you will. I just don't know how it's going to what it's gonna look like. He goes, but thank you for walking with me. And I said, am I? <laughs> I didn't know. And I realized I can't do this. Here I was trying to do what only yeah. the Holy Spirit could do and only he with a partnership with the Holy Spirit can do. Yeah. And when I let go of that burden, it became easier to be his friend, you know, and, yeah. to, and to work with him and to lead him. Yeah. You used one of my favorite lines, which is, how can I help? Because um, usually what anxiety does is I want to step in right away and fix whatever problem someone's expressing to me. Um, ah, and <laughs> rather than just hear them with some empathy and compassion, which is what 90% of people need. It's just someone to like, like our wives, like our, I think God created marriage, if not specifically for this one reason to teach men how to listen without solving a problem. You know, like, so. I'll tell Carla about this part. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, it's like, isn't that like year one of marriage? Like it just gets beat into you. Like, just listen to me. Stop trying to solve my problems. I'm, I'm um, then. we're getting there. I, I, I think I, I get <laughs> Well, yeah, some of us are slower, but you know, you get the point, right? Yeah. I, and that's, that's what most people like. That is a symptom of anxiety that I actually can't tolerate someone else's anxiety. So I have to step in rather than trust the spirit of God is filling them and can help them. Yeah, yeah. I simply need, I don't need to carry them. I just need to walk alongside them. God <sighs> has actually empowered them with the spirit of the living God that raised Jesus from the yeah, dead. Yeah. And he's called me to walk with them, not to carry them. Like that's actually uh, undignifying them, like dehumanizing them. Like, you know, Um, it's actually believing less about them. That's true. And believing more about you than is actually true. It's pride, you know, functioning in you out of anxiety for them. And so it's keeping them in a position where they're probably going to keep coming back to you, ranting on their problems and you getting really exhausted because you feel like you're fixing them all the time. But what you did is so brilliant because it's like you listen, you care, you express them like, man, that sounds really tough or, or you identify, I've been through similar stuff too. And how can I help? And what you did right there was you shifted all the weight back into his court in a good way to where now he has to lean in to articulate what he needs from you or from God in that moment. You can pray for him. You can stand with him. Um, but the point is he's now empowered to know that he's not alone and he's seeking God. Like he's, he's not powerless to seek God for himself. He, you know, he doesn't need some magical Joe to come in and, and save yeah. him. He's got Jesus. You know, so what, anyway, that it was what, more brilliant than you probably realized in the moment, but that, that was a cool, cool thing that happened for you. Thank you for that. One part that didn't feel good about that, that wasn't fed at all about that was my ego. Like I did, I didn't feel good in that, that usual kick I get from like, yeah, I said the right thing, you know, yeah, look at them better. But you know what really worked the next day when he responded, I was worshiping. Hmm. Like I was just, Oh God, thank you. Thank you. You know, you love my friend. This guy's amazing. He's going to get hmm. out of it. And like that was my mode. And really I was just, it made me think like, what would I rather, you know, Mm-hmm. exhausted with the occasional ego boost or just celebrating and just looking at people and thinking God's awesome in their life, you know, and, and, and this guy's yeah. awesome. Seth, I'm going to cut this short because 
I asked you for a limited amount of time and thank you for being willing to go over that. Oh, this, it's my pleasure, you, man. This is fun stuff to talk about. I'm really enjoying it. Thank you. Um, before we go, and I'm going to say this to the listeners and the, and the viewers or whoever, we're going to get into this in the next few episodes, okay? And we're going to take it step by step. And so I really wanted to get Seth here in the beginning to give us an overview. But I'm sure there's going to be some people out there who are like, okay, I want to activate this now. I want to start moving now. I know I'm just barely getting my feet wet, but this sounds, honestly, when you told me about it, it sounded weird, but also tantalizing. Like, could I really live that way? Could I really have that kind of joy? When you told me that you're not overworked because of the number of responsibilities, but by the weight you're carrying, like yeah. you're, not, you're not overworked because people gave you too much. You're overworked because of how you're carrying what they gave you. Right. I didn't like that at first, but the yeah. more I thought about it, the more it's helped me and it's changed my life. Yeah. So for sure, we're going to get deeper into this, but for those yep. who get started now, what are some <laughs> techniques? No, just kidding. Not techniques, but what are some good disciplines <laughs> yeah. have to get started? Yeah. Yeah. Techniques are okay. Um, yeah. So I think the first place to start is just to acknowledge that um, we all have some background anxiety. It, it varies. Some of us it's lower. Some of us it's higher. Um, sometimes it's just becoming aware of what it looks like for us. Right. Um, so for some of us, we get really critical um, and confrontational. For some of us, we get really passive aggressive or uh, distant. Um, some of us get really angry. Some of us get really apathetic. Um, so like it can look in different ways, but it's important just to acknowledge what that looks like for you. So, right, right. um, so that you can kind of self-diagnose and realize, man, I, I can tell I'm in an anxious place right now. And when you can just understand that the goal isn't to be just purely non-anxious. The goal is just to be aware and become less anxious. Yeah. And, um, and just accept that as a journey that Jesus is going to lead me on. And if I'm aware of it, um, the, the phrase is, uh, you name it to tame it. And so if I, I can actually I name... Uh, your sources of anxiety with Steve Cuss. Yeah. And I loved how I, specific he got, you know? So, uh, so I tried it. Um, I realized I get anxious when someone gives me more than I give them. Hmm. So like when I'm... Like if you offer to help me, I feel this reflex. And I'm like, what, what am I... What am I wanting? Why do I want to give Seth back something? You know, like he just gave yeah. me something. I can't just say thank you. I want to, you know, it, it, it feels like that thing you guys do in baseball when you're one hand above. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got to be the guy who tops it off and be like, I help the most, you know, or I help. Yes. You're like Andy and Dwight in the office when they had to out polite <laughs> each other with gifts. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, exact. So, that's a great example. Um, and if we were in a discipleship meeting, like we would, we would just bore down on that. Like what drives that? Yeah. So what, what belief is that rooted in? Yeah. It says that, um, I can't receive something without merit. Uh, I, I have to have the upper hand and, uh, and have earned or deserved or paid back adequately anything given to me. So what, what, how would you articulate that lie that that kind of false belief Obviously, does it line up with the gospel? Clearly, it doesn't. For sure, it's all rooted in grace, you know. Like, so yeah, grace it's kind like of the definition all of, that. of grace, <laughs> the opposite of it. Yeah, it's it's the opposite of grace, literally. But I was going to be nicer to you than that. But yeah, um, yeah. And so when you can actually name that even more specifically, yeah. Um, yeah, you've exposed it. You can replace it with God's truth, and you can watch the Holy Spirit like literally regenerate you in that area yeah yeah so it's not like you won't ever struggle with that again but you'll just recognize it quicker yeah you won't go as you won't you'll be able to catch yourself before you react yes um so um and uh and and then progressively you'll just grow more in god's grace and learn how to be more filled with the spirit and gratitude for those things and that'll be a lifelong journey that you undertake most likely right so um yeah so that that would be that would and that's discipleship. And hopefully you get to do that with some brothers that know you and care for you. Yep, yep. And that when you kind of lose sight of being able to see yourself well, that they can interject and say like, ah, well, Joe, Since have you thought about this? Up, this happens. Here it is again. <laughs> discipleship, man. It's yeah, it ain't complicated, but it really is beautiful. It's powerful. So awareness of it, uh, naming it, um, having people to walk with, 
that you can tell that to, and then yes. applying God's truth to that specific line. Yes. Yep. Letting God's truth. Because again, if you were to go back to Genesis 3, the woman needs to believe that God is good yeah. and he is blessing me. Yeah. He is protecting me. That is what's true. Yeah. And so um, if ever I'm confronted with something I want in my life that he said no to, I know that I can trust him and let go. Right. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to build myself. Um, I don't have to overfunction for my husband anymore. Like the, if you could go back and just believe the root of the gospel at that place. Yeah. It'll start to it'll start to transform you. But that's step one on a lifelong journey. And there's a whole lot more we could say, which I'm sure you'll get into at some point. And then asking God, now that we've identified the automatic process, what used to be an automatic process, we can now say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? I don't want to go read from the old script. I don't want to do what I used to do. Go and fall in that rut. But here they go again doing X, Y, Z. What do you want me you know to do? You, you know what you just articulated? That's repentance. <laughs> That's repentance. So we really just, like, I know you in the Philippines know Greg Mitchell's J-curve, truth, repentance, and faith. Yeah. So we just, we talked about truth, kind of getting down to the truth and lie, right, where the right. anxiety is kind of rooted from. And then you just literally walked yourself straight into repentance. Like, okay, God, if this is what's true, how, sh how could I respond to your spirit versus just react in my flesh? Wow. That's, that's repentance. And then I, once you do that, and, and then you need to say, oh, dear Jesus, help me. I need faith to trust that your grace is going to help me get out of my anxiety and help me to move uh, out of trust to you. Truth, repentance, faith. And just keep doing that on repeat for the next few decades. And there you go. I love it. I love it. Seth, thank you so much. And thank you for your generosity of time. We've gone over an hour here. Uh, I th we might have to cut out the office episodes for those uh, people who, <laughs> but thank you so much for, for everything. And uh, for those of you who are listening, we're going to get into this some more, but you can start by asking the Holy Spirit to help you identify it and having some Christian brothers and sisters to process this with. Uh, to talk to about it and God will guide us in our repentance process our lifelong journey of transformation Seth thank you you're welcome Joe always a pleasure right. see ya <laughs>